Welcome back to Exotic Liability number five, where we're bringing you the freshest security content possible. Fresh. Uh, fresh. She's fresh. <laughs> I'm here with Ryan Jones and DJ Jackalope, and I'm Chris Nickerson, and we're going to be talking about some of the newest, hottest, freshest things in security. Fresh. <laughs> fresh makers. Fresh and moist. Those two words are just like, like really good. I like. Moist, yeah, I, moist is almost like dirty. I know if you walk up to, to Jay Beale and tell him moist, do you he gets that, scared. Do you remember that, that old, like it was an 80s song where it was like, she's fresh, fresh, exciting. <laughs> can we start this podcast off with that, with that with a clip of that song? If, that if BJ can find the, the tracks, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can do <laughs> I, it. If you don't have the MP3, the, the royalties sure can't be very much. So, so uh, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we're going to be talking to one of our special correspondents, Yeti, who's up in the mid plains of Kathmandu today uh also practicing with the new Defcon goon band trying to play Metallica while hiking mountains and he's going to be and saving and saving Tibet and saving Tibet, Tibet. single-handedly or, or Tibet or Tibet or to Corvette whatever you want he's actually taking over China as we speak aren't those stickers the ones that say uh free Tibet just ones you add right with with coupon on the bottom <laughs> of it yeah, the, the, with purchase, he's he's stopping Conficker. That's what he's doing. So we're gonna lead off to him, and he's talking about a little bit of what we've approached every single day in our career, which is how management normally gives lip service to security instead of actually doing something. With that being said, special correspondent Yeti calling from the field. Other than the lack of awareness of security issues, the biggest barrier that I see to security in the workplace today is actually management. Management just sees uh, data security as a money pit and a resource pit. Um, and the best case that we really can hope for is that they'll do just enough to try to you know, make it go away. They ask us as security professionals to expend as little money as little effort as possible to address audit findings and past compliance audits while they grumble under their breath about having to dedicate anything to data security at all. By way of example, I'll tell this story. Uh, The security team uh, at one location uh, pointed out several times to management that there was no centralized provisioning or deprovisioning system or even a a centralized provisioning, deprovisioning process for all of the 200 plus different applications in our environment. And we pointed out the fact that uh, there were several situations where users were never deprovisioned when they were terminated or when they left. And management constantly ignored these warnings and ignored this situation until audit findings came, came back and began to show that there were a lot of uh, dead accounts in these applications, accounts of contractors that were long gone or of employees that had been terminated or had uh, resigned. And some of these were years old. And so then management suddenly became very interested in the situation and interested in what we had to say. But rather than deal with that situation in a meaningful way by trying to really centralize uh, a provisioning deprovisioning system or process, they simply went through and had the application owners quickly clean out um, as many of the dead accounts as they could find just to pass the follow-up audit. And 
did not really do anything meaningful towards a long-term process to keep this from happening again. And that's fairly typical about management trying to do as little as possible to just meet the audit requirements and the compliance requirements and not actually address the real security situation in any meaningful way. As security professionals in a lot of industries and a lot of environments, it's really a tightrope walking act as well we're hired to provide a secure environment and to contribute uh, to a secure environment from a data security perspective. But when we get down to brass tacks and we actually start to point out vulnerabilities and we start to make recommendations for remediation, um, then you become something completely different. Um, in management's eyes, you become someone who is incurring a lot of cost who's increasing their budget, and especially in this day and age when uh, budgets are already being decreased and, and budgets are very slim, uh, and we're adding a substantial component to those budgets, and that is not well received in most cases. And so we're really walking a tightrope in those situations. Typically, it's very difficult to get management uh, to understand in real terms what the cost of a breach could be and to equate that back to uh, cost savings by spending some of their budget money to do the things necessary to make a secure environment and avoid a breach. Uh, what I have found particularly useful, and it's sad that this is the case, but it's, it's a fact, is that if you're able to make this a very real and personal situation for management, you're much more likely to get funded uh, for your security initiatives. Now, it should be a simple matter of presenting the facts to them, showing them how a breach would cost uh, a lot of money, and show them the cost savings by spending a little bit of money of their budget to do the remediation necessary to keep that from occurring. The unfortunate fact is that's not the way it works. Uh, so what I found much more effective, and, and again, you are walking a tightrope when you do this. You have to know your management and know your environment and try to ensure that this isn't going to get you fired. But if you can make uh, the possibility of a breach uh, very real, not only uh, from a patient's perspective, but from their specific perspective. So for instance, if you show them that your environment has a vulnerability that allows a potential breach, which would expose their confidential data their private documents um, and compromise their personal security, it's actually significantly more effective than showing them how a breach would negatively impact the patient's privacy or confidentiality. That, that's not the way it should be, but that's a fact. Uh, if I'm able to, for instance, show how a vulnerability would allow a breach to occur and then someone would potentially be able to get access to the email of a senior vice president and be able to read that at will, it's actually much more effective than if I show them how that same breach would allow access to a patient's PHI and their confidential data. And that's just a, a fact of human nature that they're going to be more willing to spend money and to budget money for initiatives if they feel that they are personally at risk and that their personal data is what could be compromised.
in the healthcare industry, the phrase we always hear the most is that we as security professionals are negatively impacting patient care. We hear that all the time. They say that we are negatively impacting patient care by implementing security initiatives or bringing awareness of security and privacy issues to the table in any discussion that we have, especially with clinical staff. Then uh, our management chain ends up uh, really just becoming slaves to the clinical staff and to their management chain because after all, they are the revenue center of the healthcare industry. And so typically they get to swing the big stick and uh, we're just seen as a barrier to their convenience and their ability to do their job. I have sat in so many meetings with clinical staff and just had them say that we are negatively impacting patient care because we are inconveniencing them and causing their jobs to be more difficult by doing anything that's data security related. For instance, if we ask them to log back in after a period of inactivity, uh, that little extra three to five seconds is just catastrophic in their minds towards patient care. That's causing them a massive inconvenience and they will constantly claim that that could really negatively impact their ability to provide that patient with the top level care. Or if we ask them not to display a lot of PHI and very private patient information up on big grease board monitors um, so that the whole, all the public in the waiting area can see, uh, this is also labeled as uh, negatively impacting patient care and, and causing a, an inconvenience to them or causing the patient to not receive the very best of care because their job is now going to take an extra two to three seconds to uh, go to a more private area to look up this information uh, or to have a grease board uh, facing away from public view and they're going to have to go around and look at that and so now they, they will claim that uh, that patient that they're working with is negatively impacted. The point that we constantly try to make in these situations is that we are positively impacting patient privacy and patient security and that is a major component of patient care. Sometimes the clinical staff will get that point and other times it's just falling on deaf ears. The other unfortunate component in this equation is that uh, despite repeated and documented attempts to point out major vulnerabilities and the very real possibility of a breach due to these vulnerabilities to management, um, it doesn't really matter. If a breach occurs, the security team is is always still blamed and thrown under the bus, if you will. Um, and the documentation and, and the warnings that we gave are just ignored and, and brushed under the rug. Uh, nobody really wants to hear about those after the fact. So they just claim the security team's in charge of security and we were breached, therefore it's the security team's fault. And nobody pays attention to the fact that they were warned repeatedly and in writing. Foreign correspondent Getty in the hills of the Himalaya. Unfortunately, the Yeti has been hiking for days without water and or food. And you can obviously or, hear... Or booze. Or booze. And you can hear in the tone of his voice the utter distinction of the types of things he's been doing. <laughs> he's <laughs> fucking bored. Please send and, a St. Bernard out there. 
<laughs> with with the big liquor pack. With, yeah, with that big barrel they used to have in all the cartoons. That was my neck, favorite part like, of the cartoons. Like he'd come running up and he'd pop a cork and it's like whiskey flowing into Donald Duck because he's frozen and all of a sudden he just melts. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, he had he had a lot of good points there actually. And then we've all run into it where we're not considered a, a help or or you know a value. We're considered an expense. Yep. And and he also said something along the lines of basically that that the only way to get them to do anything is make them realize how much it's going to cost them personally if they don't do it. Well, yeah, and I think I think I kind of talked about that a little bit when the last time I spoke at ISSA in Isaka mm-hmm. um, is really what what it comes down to in security is that we may be tasked as security individuals. And, and professionals to go through and assess environments and tell people their level of risk. But we can't really have an impact on that risk until we connect it to the people who are listening to us. I mean, somebody may be virally inspired by a red and a yellow and a green, but most people really need to be connected to the impact of that risk. A lot of like what Chris Gates was talking about when we had on our podcast and Chris was talking about getting into some of the databases and saying, not only can I get into your database, but I can change some of the information. I can download all of your records. I can get that PHI that Yeti was talking about. There's all these different things that we need to do that is on us, that's part of our social responsibility in, t- in some of these exercises to really connect people to what that risk is. Now, I, I know that a lot of times Ryan and I have gone through exercises and we've done some of the typical vulnerability tests or penetration tests or what have you. But the only reason that people have fixed things after we've gone through those types of engagements is because of the type of information that we actually touch. I mean, Ryan, think about some of the different things that we've done when we've gone through and we've said, oh, hey, can can you break into this place and actually cause us harm? <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, you know, when, when we do those types of jobs and and they expect us to just come in, run the scanners, and leave. <laughs> and, and instead we, yeah, you know what, we run a scanner. It saves so much time to run a scanner. Uh, and then we go a little bit further. And start actually breaking the machines, and we'll st- we'll we'll go a little bit further. Not only just breaking the machines, but we'll we'll copy or take screenshots even of, of the data that we have access to. So, hey, look, here's a picture of this folder that I accessed when I broke into the server, and it's got nothing but PDF files of every social security number you've printed a, a W two out for for the last three years. Um, the issue I have when it comes to the healthcare industry is is I'm sorry, we're not we're not costing we're we're not a cost. Uh, Yeti said that, um, you know, they're looked at as a harm or, or, a, or a detractor from how, they, how well they take, out, uh, take care of their, of their patients, that they're hurting patient care. And I'm sorry to me, I don't know of a single patient that would want their information exposed to the Internet. That would right. want, you know, someone to be able to Google their name and find out that they had cancer three years ago and it's in remission or that they were HIV positive or that they're on these different types of, you know, medication. Or, God forbid, someone has access to the level where they can change that information to where suddenly they're not HIV positive, they're, uh, they've got herpes, and it's a completely different medication. And Damn, medication, herpes. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, let's say you know, they go from having HIV to lupus. Right. Okay, first off, wrong diagnosis. And second off, you're, you're not going to get the right medication that you need to help what you really have. Right. You know, and, and that that reminds me of an engagement that we did the last time we were working with some of the HIPAA providers, and we were going through and doing some of those HIPAA assessments. Um, 
we, we had this engagement where we were going through and we were supposed to go through all the different HIPAA records and all the different uh, regulations and really where they ranked against those regulations. And some of the ways that we took that is that the client themselves wanted to not only know where they stood with HIPAA, but where they were with security. So as we were going through these types of exercises and as we were going through the typical, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G checklist, we started to look into security itself. So we went through and we did some red team testing. We showed them how we can not only get into the facility, but how we could get past some of the security controls. Everywhere between walking in in the middle of the day, walking back into restricted areas, to walking in in the middle of the night, and while we were coming around a corner, seeing a security guard jumping into the proverbial laundry bin, which was actually there, <laughs> sitting in the laundry bin, watching the security guard do, go directly by us, jumping back out of that, coming into the area itself, being able to see some of the things that were very relevant to the security of this particular facility, and then looking at some of the IT systems. Once we could break into the IT systems, we could then download patient records. We even had screenshots of some of people's maxiofacial um, different types of x-rays. We had logins to their PAC system. We had logins into the HRIS system that they had behind that in order to quantify all of their billing, some of their patient records, some of their credit card numbers. But my favorite part of the whole exercise was the fact that I walked into the pharmacy. And after walking directly into the pharmacy and physically grasping the machine that allows you to dispense high-end narcotics like Vicodin and morphine and morphine and things like that, I unplugged it from the wall. I walked it directly out the door of the facility into the holding area where someone said, what are you doing with that machine? And I said, it needs to be replaced. They nodded and looked at me. And as I was walking it across the bouldery parking lot, trying to stuff it into my rental car to explain to people how bad of a risk this really was, I called the point of contact. And the point of contact being still on site, wanting to see the type of things that were actually going on, said, oh, no problem. I'll meet you in the parking lot because I said, I think you should see this. And as we went out to the parking lot and he saw this fully ended narcotics machine, dispensing machine with hundreds of, of thousands, yeah, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of bills inside of it, automatic dispensing, uh, he, he wasn't so excited. And the reason he wasn't so excited, because that's not the type of thing that any of the other testers have ever looked at. Now, if we look at the news, and if we looked at how that would cause brand defamation across that particular healthcare entity, we can obviously see that if something like that got out to the news, it would be a huge stack against that organization. And not only would they lose business, they would lose clients, they would get incremental amounts of fines, and they would obviously be in violation of HIPAA. But has any other tester tested that? Well, no, because they were too busy looking at the checklist and not looking at the threats at hand. Right, right, absolutely. And, and it doesn't just apply to the hospitals. It also applies to the people that help them with the insurance claims. Mm-hmm. You, I, don't, I don't know. You and I, I don't think I've ever done one, done an assessment against an actual insurance, health insurance claim company. We've done plenty no. as hospitals. I think you're right. Um, but we've never actually dealt with a company that handles, you know, typing in the social security number and the group ID number and what they've been des- diagnosed with and, and what the result's going to be and how much it's going to cost and all that kind of claim bullshit that goes on behind the scenes. <laughs> right. Hospitals don't do that themselves. They, they outsource it to some fucking company. Those guys 
I, I don't know of anyone that's ever been assessed in that in that region. If someone well, actually has actually ever assessed a company like that, the actual insurance. Oh, I'd love for them to post on the blog to talk I to us about how to, that I works. I would love to hear because I, I think the same goes for even any of the insurance companies. Um, I know that I have some connections with a very large insurance firm who not only provide hacking insurance, uh, but also have other ties into the insurance world uh, mm-hmm. that, that look at some of these things. And most of them go off of a SAS 70 Type 2. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if any of you guys uh, or girls or animals or, People. or cats Entities. Uh, are actually looking at SAS 70 Type 2, but I have to say, as a security professional, that is the most Bullshit. Period. It's, it's financial. It is the most bullshit security recommendation architecture I have ever seen. Not only do you get to just question your way out of security, but you don't have to prove a damn thing as far as security is concerned. So all of you who are out there who look at this SAS 70 Type 2 and saying that they're certified are purely buying into a media hype. This is not something that provides actual security. This is something that goes through a basic amount of regimen information, which allows you to respond based on question and answer and not actual any fact in the environment. So I could lie throughout my entire SAS 70 Type 2 and do absolutely nothing and still pass the certification. How comfortable does that make you feel? How comfortable does it make you feel that some of these companies that are out there providing these types of certifications are using that as their credential to work with you? No, oh, absolutely. I, I mean, hell. <laughs> I, I, I'm well aware of what you're talking about. I mean, I've seen it. You know, you, you don't have to prove anything to these guys. They're just like, hey, do you have a firewall? Yes. Yes, we do. Yes. Ooh, check. 50% certified. You get a, you get a check mark. It says right. yes. It says you pass. Um. Why wouldn't the next question be, okay, well, we like to look at the firewall rules. We want to know what you're blocking and, and allowing. We want to know, you know, hey, do you allow instant messaging? Yep. No. Well, guess what? Instant messaging is you know, actually allowed I, at the firewall, it, so it really is. But the, the auditors never check that. They never actually do the technical checks to make sure that what the person's telling them, not to say that the person's lying intentionally. I'll, I'll they put, might just not know. I'll put this up there right now from Lari's. <laughs> if somebody is willing to show me their SAS 70 Type 2 and give me a full open scope penetration test, if I cannot get in, I will pay you $5,000. Oh, I will to make it 10. I'm telling you right now, $5,000 <laughs> if you give me a contract that says we can do full scope penetration testing with absolutely no requirements on what we can and can't test, anything that's relevant to your business, I will pay you $5,000 at the end of that test, including all of our reporting. So you will get the test 100% for free, and I will pay you $5,000 if we cannot exploit that environment. Let's be fair. No damage can occur. No down servers, intentional down servers. No, nothing we, intentional. We won't all break by windows. Best practice, all by yeah. best practice. Yeah. Absolutely, it will follow section P eight of COVID as the regards of penetration testing with other abilities to be able to do things like social engineering, things to be able to do client side attacking, and be able to attack the environment in any way as a normal attacker would go. Mm-hmm. I will give you five thousand dollars. Email me. I am ready right now. And the glove has been thrown. 
I, you know, <laughs> so what's the email I'm, address to, I'm ready to for email that. you? You can email can, can me we, at we, Nickerson, we? Nickerson, N-I-C-K-E-R-S-O-N, at ExoticLiability.com. And I am more than happy to entertain any of your requests. Can we set up, like, Exotic Liability Challenge at Lars's domain? Please, I, I will. I will set that up this week because I, I I really want to get people to understand that a lot of times what is seen as compliance is nothing more than a pure pacification of the environment. Something else he something else Yeti mentioned when he was talking about uh, everything was was how they get a lot of grief for things like making people log back in after say thirty minutes of inactivity on a, on a laptop. Right. There's enough technology out there. That, okay, instead of logging in, I swipe my finger. You don't even have to remember a password. And so there's no typing. You just go swipe. We do it on our laptops all the time. I mean, ThinkPads come with them. HPs come with them. Dells, I think, even come with them now with a little fingerprint reader where you just swipe it. They're pretty easy to get a hold of. So, fine. You don't want to type in a password because it takes too long and it causes damage to the quality of patient care. Um, get, use a biometric. You use something. There's plenty of technology out there to, to replace the password solution. And honestly, I'd rather see it be a, a finger swipe or, or some biometric than, than a crappy password that probably well, is the same as login I mean, ID. Or even, you know, something like proximity badges or HID cards or... Smart cards. Smart cards. Right. ID tokens, whatever. Or even along those lines, I just, on my own, I went over to try to get my eyes checked one day in an optometrist. And... The doctor was seeing someone in some room, and he had no receptionist. So I kind of stood in the lobby for, I don't know, probably about five or six minutes. And I was going to leave him a note, and so I left him a note and put it on the keyboard that was on the office there. And doing so, I'd accidentally hit the uh, the mouse. And the mouse not only woke the computer screen up, it also woke the computer screen up with no password, and it opened right up to a patient's information. So basically, just kind of <laughs> wanted yeah. to set to tell. Well, no, and, and and again, that's a HIPAA violation, that, and and HIPAA has started causing massive fines to people as of what last year, I think, actually, right? Well, or I was mean, it two thousand seven? It was either oh eight or seven. They, they, they started, started causing fines, but the real thing is that Obama's new funding within the healthcare initiative is starting to increase the level of healthcare provider assurance that they're providing. So some of the, you know, quote unquote, kind of HIPAA 2 regulations that are coming out right now are really going to be based around the types of fundings that are going on. And you, you know, the real penalty is that if you're not going through and securing that data and you're not showing that you can have an actual CNA in that HIPAA environment, you're not going to get your funding. And to hospitals, trust me, I, I know that huge. Yeah, I know that all of you that are coming from healthcare organizations know that funding drives your business. It's great to have individual subjects. It's great to have all of that HIPAA and PHI information. But the funding sources are really the core of your business, and they're really core of the profitability chain that's there in that business. So if you want to try and risk those things. I would definitely suggest looking at the old ways of security. But if you're really looking to try and increase that level of funding that you have and retain the amount of business that you have coming forward, you need to start looking outside of that box. You need to start looking at what actual security is. And I think that's what really Yeti was trying to get down to is that sometimes instead of just showing somebody red, yellow, green, you need to show them a video. 
You need to show them or a picture. what you can get access or, to. Or, or something like, hey, look, I can pick this lock in under 25 seconds. Or someone like me who's just Joe Blow walking in the office, unsupervised, no cameras, who could have just taken the computer. Right. right. Exactly right. Right. So, leading and, on, and, and you know these these things, these all these things that we're talking about, and all the things that Yeti was talking about, um, they don't just apply to healthcare. Every company has the same thought process. Almost every company, I'll be fair, almost every company yeah. has the same thought process when it comes to security. It's it's not a benefit; it's a cost issue. It's a it's a it's a it's a black hole that money just goes down and we don't see any return from. Okay, so throw it into the overhead cost of doing business pile like owning a building or renting space or well you know it's it's part of what you have to do right you, you should have as a business a moral obligation to protect not only your customers but your employees yep and that requires a certain level of security and and very very few companies have that level it doesn't even have to be computer security either it could just be straight up what is locking your filing cabinets right, right. it could be physical security it could be document security <laughs> it, it, paper security it, it could be, be something as simple as like making sure your employees are safe i mean how many times have you read about like what could well, be crazy sure ex lover crazy ex lover guy walked into the building because well there was no reason he couldn't and right. just started shooting people. Well, I mean, look at, you know, I've been in engagements where people have had the break the glass policy. Yeah. Where someone who worked at the hospital had an ex-husband who came in for herpagonocyphilades or whatever else. And then they freaked out because they knew that this person had it. So they started to go to testing and then they started to sue this person. They go, well, how did you get the information at first? Right. Oh, I looked, uh, it, I looked I, it up in my computer at I the hospital. I got it off of Twitter. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. I was Googling search co- uh, yeah, area codes and I, found all these numbers on Twitter. Herpaganocyphilates, and I found my ex Bless you. Um, you know, it's, I, I think that those things are extremely pertinent. And I think that, that even, even as far as not even data, mm-hmm. but looking at the things that could be illegal. I mean, like, what would the implication have been had I went and took that whole illegal narcotics disposal bin? Well, we, we'd probably be in a black right now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we'd be having a hell of a lot more fun on the podcast. Oh, just yeah, we'd, we'd be like, wee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, seriously, you know, and again, you know, going back to that whole, oh, you don't like typing in passwords? Okay, well, here's a solution. It costs 50 bucks per machine. It's going to be a fingerprint scanner, and all they can do is swipe the finger. They don't just type in anything. It's instantaneous, and it's done. Right. Well, that's 50 bucks a machine. Unless someone steals your finger. Well, and you know, it, well, yeah, listen, but you set up multiple fingers, and then you have it like all centralized, so you can like disable fingers as things come along. I think one of the most interesting stats that I've read recently was in that latest Poneman Group study, where they talked about the cost of a compromise for different types of verticals. The number one cost for any type of vertical was healthcare: two hundred and eighty-two dollars per record. Right, the average that, is two hundred two, and that's more expensive than than credit card numbers. That's more expensive than the financial companies. You're damn right because that's two fifty eight, or two, I think it's two fifty, two fifties, two sixties. But but it's it's unbelievable how these organizations hide behind HIPAA compliance and hide behind all of these different, you know, uh, completely irrelevant security controls. And that's why it keeps getting worse. That's why, uh, of course, it's easy to hack a hospital, but they'll keep getting passed. At the federal government level, to just make you feel better. Oh, yeah, and you're like oh, it's socialized a, healthcare. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, hell, what is it? Is it Google that's about to get into insurance providing? Oh well, no, it's the healthcare consolidation through G Health. Right. And and I can tell you right now, through 
personally assessing some of those applications, that there's oftentimes the people that are trying to apply into G-Health have multiple different types of issues. You know, the companies that I've worked with that have actually hired us to go through that are by in large the most bleeding edge companies you can possibly deal with because they're actually relevant enough to security that they know that connecting to Google and connecting some of those healthcare information records are hugely important to their organization. So they're actually employing us to go through and exhaustively test these interfaces. Now, just because we're having that with one or two organizations, how many thousands of organizations are out there on this same program that are doing nothing because they're going, oh, no, Google will protect it. That's not to say that <laughs> your username and password I can't do blind SQL injection to. Well, did you test it? Oh, no, it's through Google. It's Google's it's their fault. responsibility. It's, it's, no, it's not. And it isn't their responsibility. No, you, you maintain you, – you're, and this is where I have an issue with overall. When companies start exchanging data, and it happens – yeah. Constantly, it's happening right now. At some point, companies decide that oh, it's it's left my border, and this kind of goes back to your whole argument against oh, borders. God. But you know, it's left my border. I hate Theref- the perimeter. Therefore, it's no longer my responsibility. No, no, no. It's your data. It was created by you. Right. Therefore, I don't care where it goes. You should know where it goes. You should know what is involved in protecting it. Every single place it's stored. Every single place it goes to. I don't care who your partners are. You better make sure that they're 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 treating your data properly. Yep. You shared it with them. It's still your data. You know, and I, I think that that's an awesome point to talk about some of the ways that people get data. Um, by and large, we used to have this idea in security and in IT that data was transferred in a specific way, FTP. It was transferred in files. It was transferred in batch job. It was transferred in all these things. But by and large now, data is transferred through applications. And the reason that 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 happens is because applications are much easier for the general user to get access to things. But go ahead. Right. But but at the same time, those, those applications are still using those insecure protocols to transfer data. Absolutely. The user just doesn't see it Absolutely. Anymore. Absolutely right. You've compressed the entire OSI model into one layer. You've taken all seven layers of the OSI and compress them all into the application layer. And now what's happening is people are getting hacked daily at the application layer. One of the things that, that you know Jeremiah Grossman and Tom Brennan had pointed out, and they've pointed out over and over again, is that 93.5% of every web site in the world, period, 93% of them have 9 out of 10 of the top 10 of, the top 10 of OWASP. How does that – listen, think about the that. Top 10 vulnerabilities. Nine out of 10 of the top 10 vulnerabilities. Now, think about your company. Think about your website. Think about what you do and how you do it. You are part of that number. And if you don't think you are, get 10 friends and maybe you're the one. But the rest of them in that room are part of it. Absolutely. No, and, and, <laughs> and, and I love the OWASP top 10. I, they're, they're, it's a great – great list of things to check for because honestly those those top tens are are probably what's being checked out by every script kid in the world and every worm in the world and everything in the world that, that that's running around the internet rampant that somebody what, set loose. Why do you think Conficker to... got 300 million machines? <laughs> of course. People don't patch. Because people download too much porn. Uh, no, wait, I'm sorry. Oh, it's because it's they're pirating MP3s. Is this where no. we blame MySpace? This is where we ba- blame the RIAA. 
Well, actually, no. <laughs> actually, in this particular case, I think the RIA would help it because they're trying to true. fight. Yeah. No, we're not even going to go there. <laughs> That's evil. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. So now the RIA is not helping security. Um, no, it's um, – and I lost it. He's got <laughs> nothing. <laughs> it was there and it's gone. Ryan's the prob- the problem nothing. with a lot of this stuff is just – it's so pervasive that that being in the security world, it's it's like trying to drink the ocean. I mean, we're literally trying to go out and tell people who have nine out of the ten websites that they're vulnerable. And the bulk of the time, they have their head in the sand and they're not even willing to listen because they go, nope, we're too small for you to attack us. We're too small to have attacker touch us. But if you look again, back to the Poneman group, the two top ranked attacked segments and everyone that they ever talked to that admitted it that admitted it right was companies that had more than 10,000 users and companies that had less than 99 users this this goes directly to a story that uh, that lost told at at a hacksack in in Norway Um, basically since everyone thinks they're too small uh, UAT University of Technology in Arizona has had a Christmas tree and they had it connected to the internet. And so you can make the lights blink on and off. And that Christmas tree <laughs> got attacked. <So laughs> definitely, like, nothing is too small. That's someone awesome. tried to hack a Christmas tree? They had someone was flashing SOS on it repeatedly. That's badass! They um, basically <laughs> could, like, the lights go on and off. I don't remember all the full stories, but I wanted to mention that. How that's people so think, great. you know, nothing is too small. And that's a, like, uh, that is the perfect example. Um, so I, I think wrapping up in that is that there's a lot of things out there. Uh, don't be constrained by your vertical. Don't be constrained by the forethought that's put upon you. Don't be constrained by the checkboxes that are put in front of you. Use your mind. Think outside the box. Secure things to the level that you know that they can be and not just what they should be. Well, and, and research ask questions, use common sense. Listen to exoticliability.com. Listen to the Chris Nickerson. Don't hack Christmas trees. Or is it the today? I'm sorry. Uh, No, I disagree. If you have the opportunity to hack a Christmas tree, fucking take it because that's badass. I would agree. I would brag about it. Anyone who hacks a Christmas tree, again, full boat, you get your own segment on the show. You hack a Christmas tree. we'll do an interview. You can talk about it. We'll do an interview. We will expose you to the planet. Uh, that being said, we're signing off. Back to the drinking binge. Everyone else, enjoy until we come for new content. See you guys later. Cheers, guys.